Sarah Barbrick with the Space Foundation, and you're listening to the Space for You podcast. Space for You is designed to tell the stories of the amazing people who make today's space exploration possible. Today, we are joined by Rebecca Hyatt from Systems Go and Edlina Jacobs from Sunnyvale High School. Rebecca Hyatt is the program director for Systems Go, an education not-for-profit that provides a STEM curriculum for 80 high schools in five states. She holds a Bachelor of Science degree from Texas Women's University and a Master's degree in Curriculum and Instruction from Texas A&M Commerce. She taught science and engineering in the Dallas area for 15 years. During her last seven years in the classroom, she taught the Systems Go curriculum. There she saw firsthand the transforming effect it had on students' lives. Adlina Jacobs graduated from Stephen F. Austin State University with a Bachelor of Science degree in Physics and Math and a Master's degree in Higher Education Administration. She has been teaching for 12 years and is currently the STEM coordinator at Sunnyvale High School in Sunnyvale, Texas. She is a dedicated educator that believes providing our students today with intellectual tools to develop a better and brighter future for our next generation. Thank you both for joining today to share more about Systems Go. Thank you, Carrie. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. I mentioned in your background information that both of you are teachers, but I also mentioned STEM. Can one of you tell me what STEM actually stands for? Science, technology, engineering, and math. Thank you, Rebecca. So that's for our listeners that are not familiar with some of our education speak. Adlina, you are the STEM coordinator at your high school. What exactly does that entail? Well, I developed the program for ninth through 12th grade in our engineering pathway. So I basically direct the students of getting their four years of STEM education in the CTE pathway. I see what programs fit with our students so that they are prepared for the industry when they're coming out of high school. Can they take different pathways then? Yes. Whenever they come into their freshman year, they have the opportunity to choose a multidisciplinary pathway, which they can go into STEM or to something else. Um, but most of them, uh, right out of middle school, they can, they sort of know exactly what they want. We have a really strong middle school STEM program as well. So a lot of them know exactly once they leave middle school that they want to be into the STEM program. Excellent. Sounds like you guys are really training them up from the younger grades. Yes. So, Rebecca, you too have a background in teaching. You taught high school, is that right? Yes. And what did you teach when you were in high school? I taught at a small district. So, when you're at a small district, similar to what Adelina is right now, you teach many different things or several different things. So, I taught everything from biology to physics, to integrated physics and chemistry, anatomy and physiology, and then engineering. You covered the whole gamut. (laughs) Everything but chemistry. (laughs) Nice. So then what made you leave and go to Systems Go instead of staying in the classroom? 
Well, like you said, I taught this for seven years and I watched it transform kids. It was incredible to see their confidence level change in their math skills, in their speaking skills, in their problem solving skills, because of the methods that we teach through the class, it's different from any other classroom. So they were getting skills that they were taking into other disciplines and in other classrooms. And I saw that take hold. And so when the founding director retired and the the position opened up, I threw my hat in the ring because I thought, you know, I want to be a part of this program continuing to expand and grow. So it sounds to me like you both have a, a pretty big passion for STEM education and for the students themselves. Yes. What were you looking for that the traditional classroom really didn't provide that Systems Go really does provide? When I saw it first presented to me, Brett Williams, the the founding director, was doing a presentation in Fair Park to South of Dallas, and I saw him out there talking about it. It struck me that the kids have to work really hard to make their rocket happen, to get to launch, to, to prove mathematically because there's no kits, there's no instructions. They, they're given a basic foundation of the physics of flight, and then they have to take that and do something with it. So it's a lot of work, but it's so much fun for the kids. I mean, it's rockets. With it being so much fun and it being their rocket, something that they are designing and developing, the ownership took over and totally, they didn't realize that they were working as hard as they were, if that makes sense. They are so engrossed and so involved and that they are, have bought in so heavily that they are there at seven o'clock in the morning wanting to work on it and wanting to finish it. And they stop by at any point. I mean, that's awesome. What other class truly does that in high school? Agreed. Yeah, whenever I'm first introduced to Systems Go, I was selected to be a part of the Space Center Seek crew, and I still am affiliated with them, and they had a conference. There was a session where you can go and talk to all the vendors, and I saw Systems Go. Who talked to me was a student, and they they told me everything that they were doing. They showed me their rocket, and I was like, you built this massive rocket? He said, yeah. I'm like, what? (laughs) And he told me all about it. And how intrigued he was with it kind of just opened my eyes because the teacher didn't say anything. He would even said, hi, how are you doing? Which was great, you know. But what really caught me was how the student directed the conversation. And he knew exactly the parts of the rocket, how they developed the rocket, just him embracing the whole project. And he knew the ins and outs of everything. And the teacher just said, the students did it. They go into competition and, you know, you can do this with a a big district or a small district. It didn't didn't matter. The the students directed their their progress, which made me open my eyes to where, oh, yeah, that's what I want my students to to do because I was already doing that. Systems Go, I, I started to really do some research one of the Boeing representatives talked to me about it and sent me to a, a breakfast and I saw Rebecca <laughs> and when I saw her. She was so 
excited about it. I was like, man, I really got to get this. I really got to get this. She's excited about it, and she brought it to the level like, hey, I'm I was I was in your shoes, and I know that this can work. And I, you know, she's told me that this can work, and it worked in her classroom, and she sees the benefit that the kids get out of it because of what how it was so influential to the students' lives afterwards. So a lot of students being involved with NASA apprenticeship programs, the internship programs, space-based programs, building sponsorships uh, and grants for the system. So just really intrigued me how much the industry was involved. I hear both of you talking about it really is the student ownership and their own drive within the projects that really caught both of you and intrigued both of you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, in in a lot of other classrooms, they're just being fed information. There's no real purpose to them doing anything with it. There's no real connection to anything outside that classroom. And this brought in every other discipline. They have to speak. They have to do the math. They have to write. And it brings in all of those things that they use every single day without realizing it and tied it into launching a rocket. It answers that question that students always ask of, when am I ever going to have to use this? And (laughs) brings it all together for them with the rocket involved. (laughs) Yes, it does. Well, Rebecca, can you tell us a little bit more about the origins of it? I know you mentioned that founding teacher, Brett Williams, but really what was his grand vision and then... What is the overarching mission of Systems Go today? So Brett Williams, he was a a marine biologist, and he would have engineers come in fresh out of college, people with engineering degrees or people that had been practicing for a while, and he would give them a problem that he had and check on them a couple days later, and they hadn't really done anything, and they would actually ask him for a set of instructions on how to solve the problem. I'll never forget, he looked at me and he told me that he looked at them and would say, if I have the instructions, I don't need you. (laughs) And it was, it was that notion of, oh my goodness, you have an engineering degree and yet you're asking for a step-by-step one, two, three on how to solve a problem. And that's an issue. You know, that's, that's a case of people having all this book smart, but not being able to really do anything with it. So he came into education, and he and his wife moved from Galveston to Fredericksburg, and he came into education. He did a principles of technology class. He was a marine biologist, so he was not an aerospace engineer, but he asked that first class what they wanted to do as a hands-on project, and they were the ones that said, we want to build a rocket. So that's where the rockets came from, was the kids in that very first class. And the, the mission of that, through the next several years, there were people here in town that decided that it was too good to keep here. They formed a 501c3 and got the curriculum in a state where it could be replicated and teachers trained so that it, you know, other schools could do it. And the mission of Systems Go is to impact the workforce by producing innovators, people that they understand that failure is part of the learning process that they know not to stop there. We want to produce people that are equipped with the skills to walk through the fear of the unknown because the fear of the unknown can be totally crippling to many people. 
But if you give them skills to walk through that, regardless of what industry they go into, they're going to be more valuable for their employer. Yes. And, in, and to see that failure is not a problem, but a, just an interesting step along the way. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and if we, if we positively impact our workforce in that way, then that has a ripple effect in, in positively affecting our national security, our, our way of life, our standard of living. I mean, that's all tied to our workforce development. Yes, and our ability to innovate for whatever comes next. Yes. So then having that mission, how do you integrate that into your teacher training classes? Both of you are saying that's not typical in a classroom. That's not a typical classroom setup. So how do you train the teachers to then train their their students to be able to do that? Well, we take a week to go through an entire year curriculum. So it's kind of like information with a fire hose. Uh, you know, through the week, but, but I try to teach the people that are, that I'm training. I try to treat them the way that I want them to treat their kids by asking more questions, not giving answers, not giving a, a, well, no, it's actually this, but it's a Socratic method of questioning and where you say, so what makes you think that? Did you look at this or focusing them back on the, the, problem, their goal, if you will. And by doing that, you model that method of teaching and they experience the frustration that the kids experience, but then they experience the, that it's really cool to launch the rocket, you know, and they get it built. And Adlena can talk to you about her Gen 3 if, if she would like to, but because there is frustration in that, but that frustration, if you talk to people that have done recent research in how the brain connects to the learning, you know, how it can enhance the learning process. If you connect an emotional component to the learning, that's really good because then it sticks more. The frustration is part of that emotional connection to the learning. Now, you don't want it frustration to the point of they totally quit and they shut down, but some of that frustration is really good. Adlina, can you agree that you've you've, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you've oh, yes. felt that in the classroom I while you've been yes. getting the training? <laughs> yes, I I told her I said <laughs> this morning. Oh my gosh, Rebecca! <laughs> but it was like venting out to think, man, I'm trying to get this. I'm trying to figure it out. What I told her yesterday was that I like the way that she just allows me to ask the question. And that's what the students are doing. Me being a student in the teacher training, I can see how the kids will start asking the questions. And that's what we want them to do. We want them to ask questions because as teachers, we talk a million words within, what, five, ten minutes <laughs> in a traditional classroom and in a project base of what's in this, in this training especially is just you're asking the questions, okay, so how do I find a seat that's under pressure again? And she'll just go back and review, like, okay, do you remember when we did this? And when we got into our our Gen 3 and going through the Rock STEM program, and I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is a new program. Um, yes, I'm used to the CAD of what I've learned uh, in, in college, 
But when I went to Roxanne, I was like, whoa, wait a minute. This is a little bit different. I have to do another learning curve. But then I was willing to do it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try to get this right. When I can see my, my whole rocket trying to reach the 2,200 feet and it didn't get there. And I'm like changing everything. Like, oh, my God. And I'm sitting here after hours trying <laughs> to fix it out. I still can't get it. <laughs> I'm, just sitting, I'm so frustrated. I cannot get this. And I'm sitting here yesterday, Rebecca. <laughs> and she's like, you sit here as long as you want to. And I was like, I don't want to sit here too long past her time. I, I took it home. And I see my students doing that, taking it home. And I'm sitting there at 11 o'clock last night trying to do more simulations, trying to figure it out. I'm like, what am I doing wrong? And there's no way of going into YouTube. I mean, you can YouTube some things, and we know that kids do that. But right. I, didn't, I didn't do that part. I just try to figure it out myself. Like, man, you know, I'm almost there, but I'm learning through doing. And I'm learning, like, okay, oh, I, mean, I need to shorten up the, the body tube. Okay, I need to shorten up the inner tube to make it reach it, the height that she wants us to get it to. What, what, what I really learned is when... She gave the time limit, print your specs to start building your Gen 3. And then I did what my students would do. And I didn't realize I did that. I put dimensions on my rocket without even looking at what the materials I had. And I was like, <laughs> oh, God, I just did what I, I told tell my students not to do. <laughs> and it's like, oh, and I just laugh at myself and just like, oh my gosh, it's so frustrating. But it was it's so fun because you're learning by doing and you are still wanting to do it. And you see your partner over there going at it too like, man, okay, I need to get like him. He's get there. And and it's it's not it's not necessarily competition. It's like, man, you're sitting there wanting to do it together, trying to get to the same goal together. And I think the training part is learning while you're doing it, but allowing yourself to have those failures, and it's okay. And I love hearing you talk about taking it home (laughs) and thinking about it. Instead of assigning students homework, they're just going to take it home on their own and be Mm -hmm. mulling over all of the things that the problems and the corrections, and that's pretty exciting to hear. Oh, yeah, yeah my husband was like, Where, are you going to go to bed? <laughs> I was like, you know, wait a minute. Like, I got to get this. I'm going to try to do this one one more simulation real quick. <laughs> That's awesome. So what do you think, Adlina, you're most excited to bring back to the classroom? Oh, all of it. I think the students will grow in this as an individual. It's more than just an engineering thing. I think it's an individual like you're you're growing for persistence and saying, okay, I can continue to do it. And I think that's what we need to get those tools for the kids. Even though you're failing, keep going. You will get there. I think just all of it I can bring back. All of the tools, the, the information she gives, how she lays it out, the curriculum, the sequence. It's like, oh, wow, everything is just laid out for you. And you don't really have to recreate something. I don't have to recreate anything. She just gives it to you and say, hey, this is, this is your guide, and this, this is how you can be successful. That's perfect. I just We haven't gotten love. to the second semester yet. 
The second semester. <laughs> second semester. There's more to come. So we're, we're, yes, we're going to get into designing and doing some work with a rocket to take a one-pound payload a mile high. So that's yet to come. I love it. Well, let's talk about those rockets then. You know, we're, we've been focusing mostly on the teacher training, but really the goal is to get kids to launch rockets and to have different goals. So, Rebecca, what are the different goals that the students have for the different courses? So this level is the Tchaikovsky level course, and it's named after Konstantin Tchaikovsky. And the goal for this one is they are to design and build a rocket to take a one pound payload exactly one mile high. They have to have a viable recovery system in the rocket. And the goal is to hit a mile, not to blow a mile, not to see how far over a mile they could go, but actually to hit a mile. They have to prove that they've done that. We offer a banner that's kind of a a target plus or minus 100 feet, the gold banner, plus or minus 250 feet of silver, and then 500 feet would be a bronze. So that's their goal. So they're competing against a standard, not necessarily, you know, all the other kids that come to the launch. The next level is called the Oberth level, and that one, their goal is to take a rocket that they design and go transonic with it. But they have to stay under 13,000 feet. So it's not a matter of just sticking a bigger motor in a tube. They have a constraint of an altitude cutoff. They have to design or put into um, Excel all of the math required to prove mathematically that they can take a rocket to break the sound barrier under 13,000 feet and then recover it. So that's the next level. And then the last level, about 10% of our, our schools do this one. It's called our Goddard level class. And their goal is to build a rocket to go 80 to 100,000 feet. And we launch those out at White Sands Missile Range. And those, wow. we require that every level use a hybrid motor system. And that's for safety. You know, nothing in the classroom is explosive. Everything's completely inert. We load the nitrous oxide on site, you know, at the various launch venues. So it's completely safe. But... We required that they use for the Tchaikovsky and Oberth a Hypertech motor system. And in that Goddard level class, the kids, they design the nitrous oxide tank. They design the injection system. They design the fuel grain. It still has to be inert, but they pour it. They design it. They figure out how many ports it has or it needs for them to get their mass flow rate. They design the nozzle. They have it machined. It's from scratch, and those vehicles are like 20 feet long, and they're huge. But that's a big, big project for them. Excellent. What's a typical launch day like for the students? Everybody arrives at 6 o'clock in the morning at whatever uh, launch venue they choose. We've got three in Texas, and then one in New Mexico, and then White Sands. White Sands is done a little bit differently, but... Our Tchaikovsky and Oberth level launches, you know, a typical launch venue is anywhere from two to four days long at a specific site. And so they choose a day and everybody, all the schools show up at one time. Now we will do some modifying to our normal schedule this coming year with all of the social distancing and those necessary requirements. But normally all of the schools would show up at six o'clock in the morning. And we have a flight readiness review checklist that they have had in their possession for two months. Ideally, they would come ready to have that 
flight readiness review verified by one of our range safety officers. Now, if something comes up, if their center of mass or center of pressure, if their stability is off, if their weight is not what it's supposed to be, what they show it to be on their simulation, then they have time in stage two, we call that stage two, to to fix those issues because if it doesn't match or closely match what they've simulated, then we really have no idea from a safety standpoint what it's going to do. So it's got to match that, you know, what they've simulated, or at least very closely. So after they get checked off and verified by a stage two range safety officer, we call them RSOs, they go over to mission control and we have stage three RSOs that load black powder charges into the rockets. At that point, the kids can't handle them anymore. So the black powder charges are connected to the altimeters, and that's for recovery system deployment. After they get loaded, they do some electrical checks on the altimeter and the circuitry and make sure that that's all reacting the way it's supposed to, that the altimeter comes on and says, okay, it's armed and it's not sending out any error codes. Then it goes over to a a holding table when we have a rail empty. Then one of our systems go people will carry it. The kids can follow and they go down to the launch pad. The launch pad is about 500 feet away from mission control, and the spectators are all fenced off behind mission control. So they go down, and they put the rocket on the rail and have their picture taken with the rocket on the rail because that's the you best part. You've got to do that. You, <laughs> yeah, you, you can't just say, okay, you don't get your picture with the rocket on the rail. We do that. We take a picture, then they leave. Then our trained pad people will do one last pressure test on the tank to make sure that, you know, that they can load nitrous oxide into the tank and there's no leaks. And then they go vertical with it. They turn on the altimeter. Once that is done and it has cycled through and it's giving the signal that it's ready, then we load nitrous oxide. We launch it. We have four to six recovery teams strategically placed around the launch site and some spotters. They all call in Avsmus. We have six launch rails, and once we launch six of them or five of them, however many we have ready, then the recovery teams go retrieve the rockets. We bring them back to mission control. We make sure that there's no black powder charges left on them. We call that safing the rocket. And then we give it back to the kids and have the kids do an interview with our live stream section over there next to mission control. Wow. Just hearing that, Adlina, are you excited about your students being able to do this? I am too excited. I can just see their face like, wow, they've never done nothing like this before. (laughs) I'm just like, man, I can't wait. (laughs) Like, let's go. (laughs) I wish this whole situation we're in was not really happening. Hopefully by the time the spring comes, things will kind of settle down and we'll get to really enjoy putting these things in the air. Yes, yes. The whole process just sounds so much more legitimate and real life than taking your your little stomp rocket out to the football field at the high school and, yeah. and launching it there. And there's just only one it. shot. I mean, they, they only get one shot to launch them. So it's not like, well, it only went up 25 feet and you can do it again. You get a shot to launch it. So they've worked for four or five months on it, and then they get one shot to launch it. It's tense. Have you had any students that have really surprised you with what they've created or come up with their rockets? Oh, yes. You get all kinds of 
interesting designs that come through. I didn't personally see this one, but there was one group that designed a triangular rocket. It was wood and it was triangular. From what I understand, it went up a few hundred feet and came down and just crashed into little pieces. (laughs) There's been some that have used PVC as a body frame. That's not advised, but as a teacher, that makes it difficult because you're like, okay, that's not a good idea. But it's not your rocket as a teacher. If it passes the safety requirements, then you should let them do it. But at the end of that, the critical part of the R&D loop is that post-mission analysis. You know, they've got to go back and explain what they did and why and the results and what happened and how that how their results is connected to their design or their build process. A couple of years ago, a group showed up with tubular fins on their (laughs) rocket. And there was only two of them. It was very interesting. And there was only two of them. And the stage three RSO didn't want to put charges. He was very concerned with how it would fly. So I went over and talked to the kids and I had never seen anything like that before, but I was so impressed with how the kids explained their design to me, and they had it simulated wonderful in RockSim. That was great, but they went into this really fabulous, in-depth explanation of why people were concerned with the flight, why they thought it would work, why it only had two fins. They were very impressive in their explanation of it. And so I looked at their simulation and I looked at their flight readiness review and it checked all of our safety requirements. So I put it on the rail and we launched it and it was beautiful. It won a silver banner that year. I mean, it, yeah, it was like 120 feet outside of going exactly 5,280 feet. It was a beautiful flight. It was amazing. They're all experimental vehicles. So you never know what they're going to do when they launch. And we do everything we possibly can to make sure everybody is safe. But just because it looks different from something we've never seen doesn't mean it's not going to work. Right. That out-of-the-box thinking can actually lead to some pretty new innovations. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We want them to not be confined to a box. So, you know, it's really awesome when they come up with some really cool idea. You know, you don't want them to just pull something out of thin air and say, oh, I think it'll work because I Googled it. But if they can back it up with some math and some solid physics concepts, then I say let it go. Brilliant. The two of you, would you have wanted to be a student that had a teacher do systems go in your classroom? Oh, yes. Oh, for sure. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) I was just telling them yesterday the same thing. I I wish I had something like this, and I didn't have it. Yeah, I didn't either. I'd have been all over it. That creative piece to innovation, I think, really drives kids, and it's very exciting to them. You know, if you think about it, if all you have is book smarts, you can't really, truly innovate. There is inherently a creative piece in true innovation they are doing things that no one else has done before and if you don't have an imagination to imagine things that haven't been done before then how do you do you expect to build them or tell somebody else how to build them I mean that creative piece is crucial 
Yes. Well, before we close out today, do you have any advice for teachers who are really looking to start this project in their schools? Both of you actually went through that whole process of, I see it, I want it, now I'm going to do it. So if, if you have any advice for teachers and Rebecca being on the other side, if you have advice for teachers, I'd love to hear it. Just do it. <laughs> I think as teachers, we get so caught up with, okay, what the district wants you to do or what the state wants you to do. Fight for it. I mean, I've convinced our school that, hey, I see this could, you know, benefit their curiosity and take, you know, our STEM program into other levels. This is just a start. So I'm just putting the gas in the vehicle and Systems Go is going to make this program run even further and fly even further to other heights that I don't know yet. But I know that this is a start and I know that I'm starting and I know that the kids will appreciate that somebody has started and wanted to do it for them. Because sometimes you can sit there for the long and say, oh, I wish I could have, would have. And you never did anything. And you never knew, but you see everybody else doing all these amazing things. Just do it. If you fail, you fail. But you know, one thing is that the kids don't see that you failed. They're seeing that, man, she's starting something or he's starting something. And I have an opportunity to do something. And that's what you're doing. You're giving the kids the opportunity that you may not have when you were in school, but giving them the opportunity to be creative and take their curiosity to more innovative levels than your community has ever seen. Take flight and just go. You're modeling exactly what you're wanting them to do, which is a beautiful thing. I mean, I totally agree with Adelina saying just do it. Uh, I totally agree with that. But we're, you know, we're in an age where districts are very concerned with their state rank, their testing scores. And my response to that is one, all of our courses align to not only Texas state standards, but national standards. We align to courses in all of the states that we're in, their engineering pathways. We're very cognizant of districts needing to make sure that our course aligns with what their state is requiring them to teach. We understand that. In terms of the state testing, we're not part of that state testing. I contend that if the kids in my classroom, if they are learning to think independently, if they're learning to process information, if they're learning to take a problem and then tear it down to its smallest parts, if they're willing to take a word and pull out the root word and figure out what that word means based on context clues around it, how can that not positively impact state testing scores? When I went to my school board and I said, if I'm teaching them critical thinking skills and teaching them how to not have to have a step-by-step explanation to every single problem that they see, how can they not do better on the SAT? or the mm-hmm. ACT, or whatever, yeah. you know, how can yeah. that not lead over or leak over into that, and that's what we saw with the kids that were in my classroom, they were scoring better on the SAT and the ACT, and in their algebra class, and in their, their English class, it transfers over, it's really that cross-curricular benefit, you start to see it in those kids. 
just hearing it makes me want to go back and be a student and gain those skills. And Well, you have to come out to a launch and talk to some of the kids. Yeah. You really do. Yeah, you know? I do. The, the teacher that she talked to was Kirk Moore. I know a lot of his kids, and, and I know how he does those those conferences, and he just pushes the kids out there, and the kids love to talk about it. It's It's really cool to see, to stand back and watch. Again, just another skill that you're developing for them to stand in front of a, a stranger and tell them all about their rocket. Yes. Thank you both for joining today. I so enjoyed hearing all the things about System Go and thinking about just doing it, like you said, Adlina. I'm excited to see how you're really helping teachers develop the upcoming workforce and igniting tomorrow's innovators. And that concludes this episode of the Space Foundation Space for You podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on Podbean, Apple Podcast, and Google Play. Remember to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And of course, our website, www.spacefoundation.org, where you can also learn about the various ways to support the Space Foundation. On all of these outlets and more, it's our goal to inspire, educate, connect and advocate for the space community because at the Space Foundation, we will always have space for you. Thank you for listening.